This is DebtWire Managing Editor Andrew Ragsley, and we are up to episode 14 of our DebtWire series. This episode features Deputy Editor Reshmi Basu speaking with two guests from M3 Partners. We have Senior Managing Director Colin Adams and Managing Director Keshav Lal. Both of our guests have restructuring credentials and expertise honed over the course of career arcs that are quite diverse. Before M3, Keshav was CEO and Chairman of Esser Capital Americas one of the world's largest conglomerates. Before that, he was an investor in distressed companies at Citadel Investment Group and Deutsche Bank. And Colin, prior to M3, was managing director at Morgan Stanley in New York and London, responsible for special situations. Before that, he was managing director at Citadel Securities and a partner in the restructuring group at Kirkland and Ellis. On the mind during our podcast discussion was inflation, the broad market impact, Fed policy, and day-to-day concerns such as the price of chicken wings. And one more thing, just to note, this podcast was recorded earlier in the month, just before the release on July 13th of the Labor Department Inflationary Report. So keep that in mind as you listen. Hope you enjoy. and Keshav, thank you so much for being here with us. My pleasure. Good to be here as well. How concerned should investors be about rising inflation? For instance, the core personal expenditures price index rose 3.1% in April. That measure, combined with a sharp deacceleration in personal income, can't be good developments. I think that investors should be at least medium concerned. It has been a long time since investors, particularly credit investors, have had to think about portfolio construction in an inflationary environment. And I think to the extent that the Fed pulls back and at some point there are increases in interest rates, it will lead to additional volatility and more unknowns. And because of that, it's very important for investors to have a view on inflation and to think through how their portfolio will adjust through it. And I would would say this, I think that you've got, as you always do in these circumstances, you've got two things happening uh, in parallel. There are observable increases in prices throughout the economy, in particular with respect to commodities. And while in the last several weeks, some of those increases have moderated on an absolute basis, prices for things like copper, lumber, steel, coal are still multiples of where they were uh, over the last three to five years. So you've got observable increases in price, which, and we'll probably talk about this later on in the podcast, which may or may not be transitory for different reasons. And then you have expectations about inflation and what that may mean for interest rates. And I think it's often the case in markets that inflation expectations and interest rate expectations are in some sense more drivers of behavior than the data that is observed, in part because the data comes a little bit after the fact. 
and so I think that the environment that we're in now is concerning for investors in that we've heard from Jay Powell at the Fed that their expectation for inflation has gone up. Uh, and I think as you look around the economy, expectations for rising prices are also up. How did we get here? Has Fed policy been wrong in terms of pouring money into the financial system? Are the monetary and fiscal policies out of step with the current state of the economy? We really have to put this in the context of the starting point. And I would argue that the starting point was really the financial crisis of 2008, where we saw unprecedented moves by the Fed to help out the economy and help out companies. And I think what has happened since then is there's a bit of a slow creep and people have become more accustomed and okay with significant influence from the Fed to help markets and help the economy. And I think then when COVID happened, it was a combination of a tremendous fear of the unknown. You know, we have the benefit today of looking at COVID and knowing that there's vaccines, that there are some treatments. When the Fed had to make their policy decision, they did not have that knowledge. And, you know, I think the combined scenario of tremendous unknown and the Fed and Treasury, and I think in general, the population being more comfortable with significant intervention led to just a tremendous amount of financial support. And, you know, I don't think, you know, whether or not the Fed has gone too far is, is very much to be determined. But I think what got us here is really the confluence of comfort level and tremendous unknown. And, you know, if you think about, you know, from the perspective of what got us here, if you think about where we were 13 years ago and what has happened in a macroeconomic sense, some of what we've seen over the last 13 years and, and pre-pandemic, I think would have been as expected in an environment of extremely low rates and, and quantitative easing. You know, if you look at what's happened to the equity markets, if you look at what's happened to uh, bond yields, if you look at what's happened to pricing in the high yield market, all of those things I think we've seen and have, have been observing for years and years and years. What's new right now is the, the price pressure, you know, the inflation, the more dollars chasing fewer goods. And I think that's where there's an open question with respect to, are we now in an inflationary environment? Did something about the pandemic stimulus, additional stimulus, was there some sort of tipping point there that has created a fundamental change? Or, as others would argue, is this transitory and what you're really seeing is bottlenecks in supply, maybe some, some slow start of factories coming back from the pandemic and that this will all work itself out and we'll be back in an environment by the end of 2021, beginning of 2022, that looks more like, shall we say, 2015 or 2018. There's also one other piece to the puzzle that I want to put in here. There is an impact, there has to be an impact, of so many years of low rates. I think one of the things that we see uh, in our practice dealing with uh, companies, sponsors, lenders, is that the relatively low level of interest rates for a long period of time 
has led to a credit market that's been particularly accommodative and supportive for a number of issuers, including issuers whose business models and future prospects might not have been supported by the capital markets 15, 20 years ago. And so I think that there's going to be an ongoing um, hangover, if you will, from all of the easy monetary policy that's been in place now for the better part of 13 years. And I'd just like to touch upon you know, a little bit more on really the second part of your question, which was, you know, are, are the monetary and fiscal policies out of step? You know, unclear, obviously depends on where things go, but it would seem that these policies were designed in a time period in which there was tremendous unknown. And now, while, while COVID is obviously terrible, I think we have a better understanding of its severity and its impact on the economy. And post the development of successful vaccinations, it, it may not be as severe as initially thought and as severe uh, in the minds of the Fed when they were developing this policy. So is the current increase in inflation a temporary blip or should investors be paying closer attention? Could this introduce volatility into the market and be the impetus for the next distressed cycle? Is it time for to panic about inflation? I, I would say this. I think that um, whether or not it's a blip is unclear. But with respect to the question about volatility, I think unquestionably this introduces higher volatility because this question is out there. The Fed took a pretty strong position that inflation would be minor and transient. And now you have them taking a position of, well, it may be a little worse than we thought. We think it's transient. I think Jay Powell the other day said it's not going to be like the 1970s. I would say the fact that he had to say that introduces a lot more uncertainty, which always introduces more volatility in the market. With respect to whether or not it causes the next distress cycle. I, I think that's a very difficult thing to predict. I, I don't think we're predicting that it will. Uh, but what I would say is, is that to the extent that inflation is significantly higher than the Fed's initial views, there will certainly be some companies that face distress in a variety of industries. It may be companies that have significant exposure to raw materials in commodity space where prices have really skyrocketed and in situations where they can't pass those costs on to the ultimate customers. And I think there will be companies that are troubled as a result of this, whether or not it causes a distress cycle that is very hard to predict. From my perspective, look, you know, here at, uh, here at M3, we are uh, crisis managers. So the first rule is don't panic. So I don't think that there's call for panic or alarm, but I do think that there's call to uh, keep a very close watch on what's happening. I think that the if you if if you step back and think about from a macroeconomic perspective, what are the the the, the salves or the the cures to inflation? Uh, those end up being, in effect, productivity and growth. And so I look at this and say, 
are we going to be more productive as a society in 22 and 23? Possibly. But I think a lot of the productivity gains that we've seen over the last several decades have related to things like technology. Uh, and I think a lot of that's embedded in the economy. I, I do think that a lot of the price increases that you're seeing are at a level that suggest uh, that there are too few goods being chased by too many dollars. I think if you look at money supply indicators, the money supply historically has never been greater, which is inflationary. And I think that there's additional fiscal stimulus likely coming out of Washington uh, that will only add to this. So I think my my level of concern is is pretty high. And I think from the perspective of where do you go and, and, and a distress cycle, I think that really links back to the second thing I was saying in, in my last answer, which is you have a number of companies which maybe were not the strongest or the healthiest who've benefited from very low rates and low rates for a long time that allowed them to, in effect, refinance out of problems, sweep problems under the rug. And so I think that what you're looking at over time, call it the next 12 to 18 months, is the possibility of a cycle where rising prices, uh, especially on the input side for uh, more commodity input type uh, businesses and entities, that begins to reduce their margins, reduce their cash flows. Those reduced cash flows are then met with a capital market where interest rates have to begin to rise to combat uh, those inflationary pressures. And it's in that environment where I think you could see uh, renewed distress at a greater level, largely because companies that are generating, uh, on average, less free cash flow are going to be looking for refinancing of debt capital levels that are only supportable by those enterprises uh, under extremely uh, low rates in an extremely low rate environment. What does inflation mean for corporate debt? Historically, what has inflation meant for companies? Well, inflation is a challenge for corporate debt because one of the cures from the government standpoint of inflation is to raise rates, to slow down a hot economy. And as you raise rates, many of the things that Colin discussed earlier in this podcast are a challenge for corporations. I think that's on the financial side. But bringing it back to M3 for a moment and the advice that we give our clients and how we would help them in an inflationary environment, I think there's a, a very real operational review that needs to take place. And some of those examples, high level, would be in, in the retail space. Are wages going up so high or so quickly that one needs to think about more automated checkouts? If you are a tech company, a telecommunications company, and your inputs are copper, should you be reviewing your contracts, your hedging agreements? I think what's important for companies is to really think about this in a bifurcated way. There is the financial aspect, which is important, but equally importantly, where, where M3 often plays a significant role with, with our clients, is thinking through the operational impacts and the things that companies can do to mitigate their cost structure in an inflationary environment. And also, what are the opportunities? You know, to the extent that there are companies that we are advising, advising that sell commodities, what are ways in which they should be thinking about their contracts, their cost structure, 
there's always an opportunity side as well. And that's really how, how we're thinking about this. I just want to add, I think Keshav's totally right about the government policy angle. Uh, and of course, the other problem that inflation presents is, is in effect that inflation is terrible for savers. It is eating away at your returns and at the purchasing power of your returns. And so what that ultimately necessitates is a demand for greater yield and a demand for greater yield across the risk spectrum. And so as a, const as a consequence, individuals, institutions, most importantly for our markets, institutions, are likely to begin demanding greater yield. And what you will see from that is that it's possible that rising prices and the demand for greater yield begin to create a cycle, which is where inflation can get very dangerous, of rising prices begetting rising prices. And I think this is where Keshav is spot on from the perspective of individual corporate issuers. There's a finance question about what is the cost of my debt and how much how much leverage can I carry in this environment? And then there's an operational question about what is it costing me to run my business? Am I, am I effectively pricing my goods and services in a rising price environment? And what can I do on the input side to think about being as efficient as possible with inputs? I also think that begins to raise questions about working capital, which your, the ability of an enterprise to effectively manage and be super efficient with working capital in an environment of rising prices and rising rates is going to matter a lot uh, around what happens with your inventory and payable and receivable uh, balances. I think you have to go back to really basic nuts and bolts investing and look at all of the materials and inputs that your company uses, could be labor as well, and then really think about who your customers are and what is impacting them and go step by step through those items and identify if any of the materials, services, labor are being impacted by inflation. And so that's, that's the type of thing where M3 can, can be very helpful to our clients on the operating side. I don't believe that it is particularly complex, but I think it requires a very detailed process to estimate one's exposures. And then, and then we get to dive into the business side of, of how to make it better. What signs should investors be looking for in terms of getting ahead of inflation pressure? Or how should they assess potential threats to their investments? So the sectors that are most obviously vulnerable to inflation pressures are, are sectors that are either, I would describe them as commodity reliant uh, or labor reliant. So going in reverse order, if you think about retail, if you think about restaurants, and I think restaurants, when you think about it, can actually be sort of a, a double whammy or a, a pincer movement where typically, you know, a third of a restaurant's cost structure is labor. Uh, and then there's another, call it 20 to 30%, that's the cost of food and liquor. Uh, interesting side note, uh, there have been issues in the chicken wing market. You're seeing some of these uh, wing companies are now trying to go to chicken thighs. There's an example of input pressure from the wing side. Maybe we can do substitution 
with something that's similar but at a lower cost because the thighs are less costly and get the consumers to buy them. Plus, you've got uh, labor impact. So any any commodity input driven business is going to face issues. Any labor intensive business is going to face issues. So you think about things like framing uh, for automotive or building products where there's an input around uh, steel or other metals. You think about, uh, again, things like restaurants and retail. I also think about chemicals where a number of the inputs there are in effect petroleum or petroleum derivatives. And as the price of oil continues to creep up, that, that could also be an issue. Absolutely, yes. It, it, it creates tremendous opportunities because anytime there is dislocation and volatility, opportunities arise. And so the skilled investor here and the student of history will go back and look at what performed well in inflationary environments, be it commodities, energy, uh, and what performed poorly. And while it has been a long time, uh, you could make the argument that nobody under the age of 60 in North America has invested in a high inflationary environment with consistent rising rates. Uh, this is not the first time that, that people have had to invest in inflationary environments. And so there are sectors that are, are beneficiaries and obviously sectors that are hurt. Um, and then from the company standpoint, there's opportunities. Just going back to the example that Colin laid out about a, a restaurant chain um, that has switched to thighs instead of wings, uh, they've run a big marketing campaign around it and even, and even you know, had, had a separate uh, you know, they've done advertising around it, segments around it. Um, they've gotten some good CNBC spots and, and other spots around around that. So, you know, part of part of putting on your good business hat and part of M3's job of being good advisors to corporate clients is how to take advantage of this. And they've effectively opened up a new product line with the, with the thighs. So it's there's always opportunity, and and we look forward to helping people find it. Can you touch upon the robust capital markets? Are investors being compensated for the risk now? What is the going forward impact on the floating rate? So it's a really good question and it's got two parts. The first is the risk premium and are investors in the capital markets being adequately compensated for the risks that they're taking? And my answer there is I don't believe so. It's a personal view. Uh, but when you look at, for example, two weeks ago, uh, a, a brand new triple C rated bond issue pricing at the lowest yield ever recorded for that market, I think that suggests that right now rates continue to be extremely low. And in the in the sort of tussle of investors between the desire to earn some yield uh, and the desire to be better compensated for risk and earn more yield. That's a telling data point to me that investors are continuing to stretch. Probably good for our corporate clients for the time being that they can still access the capital markets, uh, even if there are some, some risks or issues with the company. You know, on that, on that second question, in terms of the going forward impact on the floating rate, that is quite literally the question. And that is what this all boils down to in terms of what Jay Powell said 10 days ago and the difference between observable changes in the price data, expectations for inflation, 
and real interest rates. Will the market begin to believe that inflation is here to stay and real and at an elevated level? And if the market begins to believe that, then as we talked about before, market participants will begin to demand higher yields on their dollars because without those higher yields, the higher inflation will eat into that purchasing power. And so it really comes down to what will people think the future holds and what will people believe is coming out of the data. So far, if you look at the market's response to Powell, it was a couple of days. And then last week, we reverted to sort of a, everything seems normal, it's going to be transitory. Uh, and I'd be curious to know what Keshav thinks in particular about the floating rate piece and where where you think uh, rates may be going uh, in the next several m months and quarters. Thanks for that, Colin. I would say this. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to hit the whether investors are being compensated or risk appropriately part just to start to lead into the second piece. Um, on the first part, I think it's a very hard question to answer, and I'll I'll be very precise as to why. I think if government intervention would retract and not be as severe going forward as it was during COVID then I do not believe that you're being adequately compensated for risk generically in the credit markets right now. However, what we saw recently in, in the COVID times was the government buying HYG. The government was buying high yield bond index and effectively buying a full spectrum of bonds, which they had never really done before. And so to the extent that someone were to tell me in the next crisis, the government may even purchase equities, I'm not saying that's the case, I'm just laying out that hypothetical, then it's a very difficult question to answer whether or not you're being adequately compensated, maybe not based on history and based on what government has done in the past, but if you were to tell me that the government may even buy equities in the next crisis, then I could, I could understand someone believing that you are being adequately, con uh, adequately compensated for your risk. So I think the key driver is not, you know, what causes the next downturn, what causes the next recession, what causes rates to go up. Those, all those things will happen in time. I think the bigger question is, what is the government going to do about it? Last year's distressed cycle was short-lived given Fed policy. What does that mean for the market going forward? Did companies exit with too much debt? So I think that there's always pressure in terms of an exit to have maybe slightly more leverage uh, than, than you might have, let's say, uh, on a whiteboard in a finance class at a business school. And part of that pressure is because a lot of times the, the amount of leverage, the capital structure, the agreement that comes out of one of these processes is an agreement. It's multiple parties sitting around the table trying to negotiate for uh, and gain advantage on what that's going to look like to earn their return uh, for, for the distressed asset. Uh, that being said, I think that more leverage is certainly supported by an accommodative low rate environment. One of the classic credit metrics that you're always looking at is not just the total quantum of leverage, but you're looking at interest coverage. Can the, can the enterprise service its debt? 
And in a falling rate or low rate environment like we've experienced since the crisis, a company could, could easily afford, if you will, to take on another turn, another half turn, et cetera, of leverage, because the cost of that leverage just wasn't that high in relationship to the free cash flow that the business was able to generate or was projected to generate. So I think what becomes interesting about this question is, what, what do these companies look like that maybe took on a little bit of extra leverage? What does that look like when they have to go refinance that if we end up in an environment where rates are, in fact, higher uh, 12 to 24 months from now? I don't know, Keshav, what's your, what's your take on that? I think companies did the smart thing by taking relatively cheap capital. With respect to whether or not they are exiting this period of time with too much debt, it really depends on their business performance and the cost of debt going forward. On the cost of debt going forward, you know, we do believe that over time it is gonna go up, but companies have been smart enough to use the capital that they've, been, that they've raised let me say that again. If companies have taken the capital that they have raised, invested it in their business in a way in which to become more efficient, then I don't think that they necessarily will have too much leverage coming out of this. I believe it's very much a company by company specific scenario analysis. And it's something that we've been working with clients very carefully on. What are you telling clients? We're telling clients to be proactive in their internal analysis as to where they may be exposed to inflation and where there are opportunities to inflation. We don't want our clients to be deer in headlights. We want them to be very prepared for a higher inflationary environment. Thank you so much for being here with us today. 